Welcome to On the Cusp, the podcast that analyzes the new forms of aggression facing liberal democracies and hears from the innovative people at the forefront of countering that aggression. I'm your host, Elizabeth Braw, and I also lead Rus's Modern Deterrence Project, which studies such hostile activities and what to do about them. Think predatory economics, mysterious viruses, and cyber attacks. And we propose solutions too. You can find On the Cusp wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And to learn more about modern deterrence, visit rusi.org slash modern deterrence, where you can also sign up for our mailing list and learn all about our events, which currently take place on Zoom and are mostly open to all. And you can tweet me too. I'm Elizabeth Braw. Many thanks to our partners at Willis House Watson for making this podcast possible. Now, I'm recording this episode in self-isolation, just as I've done with our previous episodes, because we are, of course, all in self-isolation. And virtually the only way in which we interact with each other is the internet. And businesses, meanwhile, are basically just trying to stay alive. Now, that's a dream situation for cyber aggressors. As I record this, EasyJet has just suffered a devastating cyber attack. Nine million of its customers were affected by the attack. And remember, EasyJet and other airlines were already in trouble, having had to cut almost all of their flights. And hostile states, meanwhile, are staging cyber attacks to steal COVID-19 research, including research for a potential vaccine. The UK's National Cybersecurity Center has warned of such attacks, which are thought to be carried out by Iran, China and Russia. Now, Jonathan Cooley has phenomenal insights into this ugly side of modern life and modern business. He's not a cyber engineer, but a lawyer. As co-head of Clifford Chance's tech group, he's in charge of the massive amount of legal action that follows a cyber attack on businesses or other entities. And the cyber aggression during the coronavirus crisis means that people like Jonathan are busier than ever. In fact, the cleanup of cyber attacks are the side of cyber aggression that the rest of us often forget even exists. And that side, of course, involves shutting the attack down, but it also involves sorting out the damage and, importantly, reporting the attack uh, or the attacks to the authorities. It's complex and it's time consuming. And that is a trend that will continue to grow as attacks increase. And the obvious question then is, of course, what comes next? Now, given the nature of cyber attacks, I can't tell you and I don't even know which cases which law firms represent. But what I can tell you is that Jonathan has a long and impressive career in the intersection between law and technology. In 2018, he founded something called Ignite, which is the world's first law tech training contract fusing legal training and tech development. And he is also very active in promoting opportunities for tomorrow's female leaders. And perhaps even more importantly, promoting opportunities for people with autism. And in his legal work outside uh, cyber, he has also been involved in Coca-Cola's acquisition of Costa, obviously two firms we're all very familiar with. Now, Jonathan and I recorded this interview while social distancing and we spoke on a landline. So if you hear a slight buzz, don't be surprised. It is the landline. It's all part of the lockdown experience. 
Now, Jonathan, Interpol has reported an increase in in ransomware attacks on on hospitals since the coronavirus crisis began. And I think that that illustrates that aggressors and and, uh, various forms of criminals are not taking a break just because we're busy dealing with a coronavirus crisis. Can you tell me a little bit about the situation as it stands now from from your vantage point, which is the vantage point of of somebody having to essentially clean up when there has been a a cyber attack on a company or, or other entity? Yes. And we're seeing, unfortunately, now that the crisis that we're going through is being seen by cyber criminals as an opportunity. And in fact, the World Economic Forum very recently has published a paper which is flagging that there has been, as you said, and as we're witnessing on the ground, a very significant uptick in in cyber attacks. And I suppose there are a few reasons for this. We've got workforces which are dispersed. So everybody is not in the office together talking, being together in the normal structured way. So people are are distracted. They're at home. Using their home internet. Exactly. They're, They're kind of possibly a little bit tired. And that all means that you know 98% of cyber attacks are, have some form of kind of social engineering as, as part of them they rely on people making a mistake or someone trusting a, an email or or a message which is actually fake and people's guards are down at the moment and unfortunately cyber criminals see that as a uh, as a real opportunity to uh, exploit this vulnerability and certainly we're seeing a really significant uptick in every sector, not just healthcare, media and sport, financial services, energy, um, teams and organisations being very heavily uh, attacked. And, and some very basic things, say, for example, your response plan, you know, if you're all in the office, you sit in a room in a kind of war room and work through that. People's response plans are, are sometimes just in paper form. When they're not in the office, they can't access them. So there are kind of some ba- very basic things that are going wrong at the moment. And, you know, so the criminals haven't stopped. Um, in fact, as I've said, they're kind of seeing this as a as, as a great opportunity to cause huge amounts of disruption and, and to make, you know, themselves a lot of money. And, and all of that then ends up on, on the desk of people like you. And, and as the co-head of uh, Clifford Chance's technology group, you deal with a, a wide range of, of clients who have been attacked. For those of us uh, or those listeners who are not really familiar with the legal implications of, of cyber attacks, uh, can you can you just go through briefly what it is you do after an attack has happened? Yeah, of course. So uh, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think often people associate cyber attack with, you know, locking down systems, an IT team, a forensic team working very quickly. But of course, in the past five years, really globally, so we're not just talking about Europe here, we're talking about around the world, lawmakers have created some of the most restrictive and aggressive laws to try and get businesses to respond in the right way when the cyber attack, which means a few things. It means telling regulators really quickly, giving them information in an accurate way within those very short timeframes. Um, so Europe kind of is 72 hours, go over to Singapore, you've actually got kind of one hour windows in some cases for some regulated businesses. So within that time frame, you have to provide regulators with information. You then have to engage with your customers and, and tell them too, so they can start to protect themselves. 
and then think about your suppliers and your supply chain and, and, and ultimately what that means for you from a contractual and, and liability perspective. So when we're looking at a cyber attack, it's often actually forgotten that there's a there's a huge regulatory framework sitting around this now, which you know is there for a good reason. The public interest is it, it, you know it's there to support the public interest to ensure that companies are thinking about this and respond rapidly. And as we've seen, you know, in the in the wider crisis that we're going through at, at the moment, rapid response in a crisis is absolutely vital. But that means that you have to prepare. And from a legal perspective, regulate, re- regulators are looking for that. And, and when they don't find that preparation and, you know, you can't make it up after the event, if, if you haven't prepared, then they're going to go in there and, and, and fine you effectively and investigate. And we're seeing not only an uptick in cyber incidents, but also a very significant uptick in regulatory interest and, and investigations and fines in this area. And that's probably uh, a good thing that the regulator in, in different countries is, is uh, so proactive. But uh, this could possibly lead to, to lawsuits as well, right? If, if uh, companies don't do enough to protect themselves. Well, just uh, not possibly, it just it is. And, and, it, and it's individuals are becoming very wise to this now. And I think as all of us spend a lot of t- more time in our homes and as you said, kind of our lives now are completely reliant on technology to connect, to do our jobs, to speak with our family and, and our friends. All of that means that we're very, we're, we're kind of realizing within our homes and our very personal lives, the importance of technology. Now, when that technology fails us, and, and, and one example of that failure is, you know, a significant cyber attack, people take that very personally. Particularly in the US now, we're seeing a very large number of class actions based on misuse of data and the harm that that can cause, either financial because your credit card information or, or you know, bank details have been stolen, or actually emotional distress. You know, your children's photos may, may have been accessed, uh, very personal health information may have been hacked. These are all resulting in a very significant public outrage, if you like, which is then uh, translating into uh, litigation and that's coming across to Europe as well. We're, we're slightly behind on the class action front, but we are seeing real public outrage now. And again, I think one of the interesting consequences of the current crisis is that people will just take these types of incidents just much more personally. Yes, and feel that they have the right to do something about it. Now, speaking of, of uh, liabilities and, and our dependence on technology, many countries are at the moment, uh, when they're not busy dealing with coronavirus, uh, building out their 5G networks. And you're obviously a, a lawyer dealing with cyber attacks already happening under the 4G network, which is, is there is uh, a lot of those already. And, and your group has more than 400 uh, lawyers doing uh, exactly this work. But I'm curious, what do you think that the expansion of 5G will, will mean for cyber attacks from your vantage point of what will happen after those cyber attacks? Will we see an explosion in lawsuits uh, against companies because they didn't protect themselves? And and also, will we see uh, maybe different types of cyber attacks? Yeah, so I think there are just got two lenses to look, look at this through. The first is the type of new technologies that 5G is enabling, which inevitably mean that our kind of digital lives are, are more open to cyber, cyber attacks. So, you know, one of the, the best examples of 5G-enabled technologies, IoT, whether that's kind of self-driving cars or health tech in our homes or just con- domestic convenience. So that might be your you know, digital personal assistant, it might be your baby monitor, it might be your fridge. All of these parts of your life 
um, small but key parts of your life connected to the internet, whether ordering food or giving data on you know your health, all of these all the time are, are going to be on or always on and always creating data and, and unfortunately always accessible to cyber criminals. So the one thing that 5G does is to exploit that technology convenience. And again, I think, you know, unfortunately what's going to happen with post-crisis with, with, with COVID is that our homes are going to become, I think, much more t- technology enabled. That's a good thing because we're going to be more self-sufficient in that regard, but it's going to make us vulnerable and it's not just within our home, is it? So I've kind of mentioned self-driving cars. There are, there are very good examples now of how hackers have managed to manipulate systems and vehicles, uh, which are 5G enabled. And, you know, the most extreme example of that is, is in uh, aircraft and flights. So some quite terrifying outcomes could be the result of what is a very positive type of technology because it's, you know, it's enabling and it's making our lives more convenient. The, the other part of this, of course, from a um, the other lens to look at look at it through is the, the 5G technology itself and why that's more open to attack and vulnerability. So it's it's far more software based than hardware based. You know, 4G is a f- hardware solution. 5G is more software. Not to say that hardware isn't part of it, but it's it, software is a, is a much more significant component. That's eminently more more hackable. The bandwidth is broader. Again, that gives further routes for hackers to to exploit. And, and and what does this ultimately mean? It means that the businesses that are rolling out this technology, um, who are creating it, have to be much more certain about the quality of the technology they're, they're developing. And if we look at the NCSC reports recently, and, and particularly their focus on supply chain management, that's critical. So if you're a business developing this type of technology, you need to be able to vouch for the technology you're using. You need to be able to audit it. You need to be able to test it and prove to lawmakers and the government that it is safe, safe to be deployed into people's homes, safe to be put on aircraft and into cars. And that will require a huge amount of additional in, uh, investment. And also from a, a company perspective, much more transparency in terms of the technology that you're using and, and allowing it, opening it up for, for public governmental scrutiny. And that will, again, lead to, to uh, more legal work because companies will want to protect themselves. And this, uh, I think, it illustrates so well how different sectors of society are uh, linked today, are, are becoming linked in a way that, that uh, was not the case before. I mean, a, a major law firm in the past may have dealt with national security in, 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 in a limited way, but, but your group is closely involved with national security in this uh, in, in from the vantage point or from the perspective of, of cyber aggression yes and the, I suppose the societal impact because I think every you know every business actually wants to do the right thing by their customers they obviously want to be profitable and they don't want to lose trust and I think a lot of the themes around this always come back to trust actually can I trust the technology that I'm allowing to monitor my health data or monitor my child? And businesses do want to do the right thing, but also they kind of need to be told by governments what the right thing is and what the standards are. And I think in the past, the security standards and the level of expectation that's been set by government has not been particularly certain. I think that's that's changing very, very quickly. And the NCSC is doing some very good work in this area, particularly on, on the supply chain and verification of the various constituent parts that make up a 5G network. And that's great because actually that guidance is really important and not only supports the national security effort, but it gives companies much better clarity in terms of what security standards and expectations 
are expected. And in a way, I just I just look at this as kind of we have on our products in our daily lives kind of a kite mark, a safety kite mark to say this is safe. In the cyber world, we're going to see and the data world, the technology world, this concept of kind of security vetted and safe technology, most um, certified safe is going to be a, a, a big new theme. And obviously that has a national security impact. It's, it's, it's a positive thing, but it also means that you win the trust of your customers and, and ultimately you, you win more business and become more profitable. So it's, uh, you know, it's all complementary. Yeah. And, and uh, just a quick note, the NCSC is the, the UK National Cybersecurity Centre. Yes. And we of course shouldn't just limit it to the NCSC. There are many other organized, governmental organisations globally who are looking at this area in the US, unsurprisingly, in, in Europe and elsewhere. Um, it's at the top of the government agenda. But, I, but a, a good example of some of the work that's being done, particularly on the supply chain piece, is coming out of the NCSC. Now, my, many cyber attacks are perpetrated by, by criminals, but in, in many other cases, uh, the instigator is a hostile state and, and that state itself, through its different branches, may perpetrate cyber attacks or it may use proxies of freelance hackers that it pays, uh, which is very handy because then it has uh, plausible deniability and it's very hard for the, for the victim or the victim country to trace that connection between the, the hacker and the sponsoring government. So what the US has uh, done on a couple of occasions in, in recent years to sort of get at that problem is to file criminal charges against the, the individual hackers themselves. And, and I'm, I'm curious, uh, speaking to you here as a lawyer, do you think that strategy has potential? Yeah, absolutely. And, and look, a, a cyber attack is a criminal act which has very significant costs to our economy. So the UK government has estimated that it costs them three billion pounds a year, the government, just the government, to address um, these crimes. And then for the global economy, it's alleged that it's going to cost six trillion dollars by 2021 to put right the damages caused by these acts. So just as going into someone's house and stealing some something is a, a criminal act, if you're a cyber attacker in, in your room and, and um, remove data from uh, systems and databases that are not yours, then that's a criminal act. And law enforcement agencies have to pursue that. And um, there have been some very high profile examples of that, as you said, in the US and also in the UK, a, a young guy in his 20s in, in 2018 um, was jailed for two years, Alex Bessel, and he had made over £50,000 on the dark web by selling data. He'd armed over 9,000 bots to to attack various businesses, including including Google and, and Skype. And these are you know, these are criminal acts. And so cybercrime units within police forces are now very common and, and they are very active and well-funded. So I absolutely support that. And there are very good you know, legal reasons why that activity is, is absolutely vital. The, the more difficult thing about this is that, yes, those are individuals, but as you said, you know, they may be backed by governments. And from precedent, we've seen that it's very hard to identify those individuals within government who authorise this. So whether it's North Korea and the attacks on Sony Pictures or um, Russia and, and the Petra and non-Petra attacks, can you actually prove it's a nation state? It's very hard. So absolutely we must go after the individuals who commit these crimes but i think governments and intelligence services have to have broader 
um, strategies for um, going after nation states. Yeah, and the thing is also there may not even be a paper trail in the agreement between the the, the, gov- the sponsoring government and the hacker. I mean, this can simply be a handshake, and uh, the the targeted or attacked country or company uh, will never be able to to figure out who, which which government, if any, sponsored the attack. Exactly, and and you know the the, the people who are involved in these attacks, they, they're often very young people young men and women who are fascinated by this area, who are highly intelligent, fascinated by the dark web, um, they are highly exploitable and, and vulnerable, actually. And I think, you know, those people are always going to exist, highly intelligent, young, exploitable people, and they're kind of fair game for governments. And I think that the best chance that we have in this area is to get to those young people early and make them realise that the their crimes, because they are crimes, have very broad consequences, not just for them in terms of going to jail, like Alex Bessel for a couple of years, but actually that they can have very ser- serious implications for the countries in which they live. Um, but we we should be un- under no illusions. You know, often these attacks are not committed by grand Doctor Evil kind of type characters. They are they are young, exploitable, highly intelligent, highly talented people, and and I think you know, th- th- hopefully some of the examples of of individuals being subject to criminal enforcement will be a deterrent. Speaking of of young and talented people uh, who may be on on the verge of crossing into criminal behaviour, we recently here at Monica Terrence had a very interesting event where a senior executive explained that his company works with police forces to identify highly talented uh, well, usually young people who uh, or hackers uh, who are on the verge of crossing into to criminal ter- territory, but haven't yet. And this company then mm. so keeps an eye on them and and uh, recruits some of them for its its own red team or or cyber defense uh, team. Uh, which, which is different I, I, yeah, and ethical ethical hacking is a is a a really big part of of industry company defense. You want to know that your systems are safe from attacks from the cleverest, most innovative people out there. So absolutely, this is a a war, if you like, for talent and for hearts and minds. And the ethical hacking industry actually does an extraordinarily good job of taking people away from the kind of, you know, the dark arts and from state-sponsored attacks and actually puts them on the right side. So I, I fully support that those types of businesses and that type of activity. And in our experience, more businesses could do this, could actually use the um, the skills of, of ethical hackers. But, you know, it's, it's an industry which is growing and I think that can only be good. Yeah. And here we have, again, the, the really quite surprising uh, and innovative connection or uh, I shouldn't say innovative, the quite surprising connection between uh, criminality, national security and and uh, the, the world of um, the legal profession where this all comes together because your companies clearly need to do, uh, or the companies you advise or you assist clearly need to do more to defend themselves, which they can do if they if they essentially hire people from the other side. Yeah, and have the right talents because I think, again, if we're, we're discussing this today at a time of crisis and a cyber attack is a crisis. And and what do you need in a crisis? Well, as I said earlier, you need to act really, really quickly and and lawmakers, regulators are are saying that and they're finding you if you don't. The other thing that you need is a multidisciplinary team. You need experts and not just, you know, your in-house team, 
but actually those people who know how to deal with the comms of this to deal with your customers who know about the the kind of the, the legal aspects who can kind of hunt down the the forensically the source of this so um in in any crisis you need a cabinet if you like a a, a room of a war room of of multidisciplinary talent and again you can't kind of cook that up in the days of the crisis you need to have thought about that long before and i think the thing that we see when we advise in this area which is a you know a, a very particular type of crisis is that that preparation is often not done and that that thought is not done and and un- the unfortunate re- result of this um for, for businesses is that there are significant fines because the test is have you prepared and, and often businesses actually fall very short that is uh, extremely unfortunate because it, it should come as no surprise to uh, business leaders that that cyber attacks will occur and that they will hit every kind of company. So, Jonathan, it's um, I know from experience that it's very hard to reach you because you're always working on a live case where you have to notify the regulator and various authorities that, ha- that there has been a cyber attack. And so... Uh, and, and your team uh, obviously exists to deal exactly with with this uh, in helping companies uh, deal with the aftermath of cyber attacks. So can I ask, knowing as much as you do about the exposure of companies to cyber attacks, do you feel safe using the internet? <laughs> so, so very good question. Um, ultimately, your concept as, a, as an individual, as a consumer, um, the concept of safety comes down to trust. Do you trust the businesses who are the custodians of your information. And I think increasingly the public is making this link between their information being as valuable as the money they hold in their bank account. You know, it can have huge implications for their lives, for their finances, for their emotional health, if something goes wrong with that information or the systems that are supporting that information. I think the the public narrative around trust has very significantly changed in the past couple of years post incidents like Cambridge Analytica, businesses of all forms, including Facebook and others, care about doing the right thing because they realise that you know their customers really care about that. And so I think that the internet as a result is becoming a safer place. I still think that the free flow of data in our daily lives, particularly with you know internet enabled devices, is far too free. And businesses are often creating so much value because they're extracting data so quickly. Unfortunately, they don't necessarily think about their role as a custodian of that information until it, it's too late. So I think there is much more to be done in that area that, you know, these the things that we've been talking about today, the planning, the protocols, uh, the strategies need to be there almost at the inception of some of these companies. And they haven't been. They've kind of been reverse engineered. So to answer your question, do I feel safe using the Internet? Not really at the moment, but I think we are at a point, a tipping point where you know, this crisis has brought to the fore the importance of technology to our lives. It's meant that we are having to bring it into our personal lives even more than we've ever done before. And um, that becomes deeply personal. And I think the companies that realise that will be the ones that will be hugely successful. The ones that don't realise that early and start to think about the ethics of the technology they're developing will, will come unstuck in, in quite a big way. Which means that we should come back and, and speak uh, with you very soon again and, and see what progress has been made. But in the meantime, Jonathan, thank you very much for uh, speaking today and uh, good luck with your next case, which I think may be just around the corner. Thanks so much, Elizabeth. 
Will U.S. companies be brought down by class action lawsuits in the wake of COVID-19? Will we see U.S.-style class action lawsuits over cyber attacks catch on here in Europe as well? And would that be a good idea? Tweet me your thoughts. My Twitter handle again is Elizabeth Braw. Many thanks to our producer, Tom Ascott. We'll be back very soon with another episode and another guest who's doing pioneering work. See you on the cusp. <laughs>